What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode number 73. This week, we had a really good conversation with Austin Stone from Tactical Approach Outdoors. He was really good to talk to about what they do. We talked to him about how his season went this year. Some of the most common mistakes he sees from from hunters because he does teach hunting courses and he does some consulting as well. We got into a lot of public land stuff because that's a lot of what they do. Got into kind of their YouTube channel content that they put out. It was a really good conversation, so I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Stick around for that. Before we get into it, though, don't forget to support the podcast, and you can do that through our sponsors. The first one being Rodney Hawkins, uh, who was on last week's episode. So go check that one out, and you'll hear even more about what I'm getting ready to tell you. If you're looking for a piece of ground to manage and hunt, uh, Rodney's the guy to talk to. He grew up hunting and fishing in Southern Illinois, and he's now putting that love of the outdoors into selling recreational properties as a land specialist with Midwest Farm and Land. Midwest Farm and Land isn't your real average real estate company. They sold over $85 million worth of ground in 2022. With agents like Rodney all over Illinois, they're truly a local company with a national reach. For more info, you can call him directly at 618-925-3153, and he'll get you taken care of. He's also recently started a new company called RG Outdoors. He's currently carrying hard and soft-sided blinds and blind chairs, all from Radix Blinds, in addition to an all-natural scent elimination product called Camo Dust, which you can get more info on at CamoDust.com. He's also got Burna self-defense firearms now and Tacticam cell cameras, uh, Tacticam trail cameras, excuse me. Um, Nate spent a lot of time in one of the Radix blinds this year. Uh, he loved it. It worked out great for him. If you're interested in any of those or any of the other great products he's got to offer, you can check out the Facebook page, RG Outdoors. Email them at rgoutdoors at yahoo.com. Or, again, just call Rodney directly, 618-925-3153. Our other sponsor for the podcast is Grandpa Ray Outdoors. You guys know if you listen to this, they specialize in providing to the providing the best nutrition for the white-tailed deer on your property, starting with the soil. They've got a full line of high-quality food plot seed and plant foods. They started in 2015, but John's been in the seed and nutrition business since 1991. With over 14 different food plot blends to choose from, you're not going to have any trouble finding what you're looking for, and they're all going to be quality. You're not going to be paying for filler. It's really good, pure seed. Great germination rates on everything they sell. They've got fall and spring blends, corn and beans, switchgrass, liquid fertilizer, soil test kits, you name it. When it comes to food plots, they've got it. They're not just about selling their products, though. They're a really great resource if you have any questions about what blends would be best for you and your specific property. That way you can get the best results possible. John and his team don't believe in a cookie-cutter approach to wildlife nutrition. They're going to treat you and your situation individually. Um, they don't have fancy labels on their packaging either. It's just plain Jane because they're not focused on that. They're focused on the good quality seed and taking care of their clients. That's where they spend their resources. We've used their seed blends on client properties all over the Midwest. We've used them on our own properties, and the results have been as good as advertised. That's why we could partnered with them on the podcast to start with. That's why we're going to continue to do so and continue to plant their seeds. You guys can check them out at GrandpaRayOutdoors.com and use discount code RHOPODCAST. That's all lowercase, no spaces, and get 5% off your order there. Also, don't forget to check out our website, RidgeHunterOutdoors.com. Anything you see on there, use the code RHOPOD. That's all caps, and you get 10% off anything in your order there. Also, you can follow us on uh, Apple Podcast and leave us a review there. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, like and comment on any of the videos, and then follow us, leave us a review on Spotify as well. All that stuff helps support us, um, helps with the algorithms that they have out there for getting the podcast out, and we appreciate you guys tuning in and listening. Now let's get into the conversation with Austin Stone. This is the Ridge Hunter Outdoors Podcast. 
hey everybody thanks for tuning in this week we got another guest on this week is austin stone from tactical approach outdoors what's up austin how's it going man good how about yourself we're doing good here um so like i said you know the like i said everybody that the first time they come on i want to get kind of to know you guys a little bit let the audience get to know you guys so we kind of start from the beginning so way back when you started hunting like what age did you first start hunting whether that be you know what did you start with too was it was it white tails or something else and who kind of got you into it you know um my dad got me started at a pretty young age um you know we were chasing squirrels and and hunting some small game growing up for a while and my first whitetail hunt um i was nine years old when dad took me out i didn't carry a rifle i was just kind of along for the ride mm-hmm. and um ended up shooting a pretty nice basket rack that day so that was a pretty fun experience and then i started carrying my own rifle when i was 10 and it just kind of has gone from there so we've i've always been a public land hunter <clears throat> he's my dad got me fi- figuring out how to hunt public land, work a little bit harder than the next guy, and and got to see a lot of success through the years to taking that approach and just kind of developed it from there. Yeah. So uh, when did you start hunting by yourself? Was it when you got your license and you were able to drive? And I guess uh, we're talking about Iowa here. Is that where you you grew up and started hunting too? Missouri. Missouri. I'm, okay. I'm okay. Missouri. Yes, sir. Okay. I was thinking Iowa, but. Um, Okay, so what part of Missouri? Um, the Kansas City area, actually. Oh, cool, cool. We've actually so done we've, a, a little bit of work out there, kind of on the Kansas Missouri border, but that's awesome. Yeah, I um, we've usually hunted that northern end of Missouri, so up close to Iowa. Mm-hmm. We spent a lot of time in the north on a lot of northern properties. I've ventured south just a li- little bit, but I found so much luck, kind of in the central part of the state in north that I just kind of stick with it. Right. I guess you see mostly, is it, is there more ag up in the, in the north and central part of the state? Yeah, it is. It's a lot more, more diversity when it comes to overall vegetation and, um, food that they've got, got available. Like you said, a lot more ag as you get further south in the state, you get into a lot more cattle pasture and, um, Mm -hmm. a lot more oak, mass trees that these deer have to forage on so right the taste is definitely different and the body size is different there's still some giants right don't get me wrong but but definitely a little bit different taste in the meat and overall body size which is interesting yeah that is interesting that's something you don't really think about a lot is what they're eating and and where they come from has an effect on how they taste too it does a hundred percent you know that the more um actual agriculture you know soybean and corn that they have to feed feed on i've always found to have a little bit more flavor mm-hmm. in the meat than just kind of a, a random browse um and just acorn diet basically yeah that makes sense before we get too far into anything else so you're hunting with your dad at nine and ten years old and then you start hunting by yourself at some point like uh high school that range yeah so um i my brother started hunting about two years he's a couple years younger than me so he started hunting a couple years after 
Mm-hmm. I got started. So my dad started leaving me a little bit more often in the woods. I was able to to go do my thing kind of on my own, um, you know, around that 12, 13 range. And, of course, you know, once you got your your license, you know, I, was, I went and did a lot of hunting by myself, carrying my bow and um, found some properties close to home with some friends that we were able to hunt throughout high school and um yeah so i started i started going by myself as early as i could <laughs> right right and is uh is that when you started bow hunting too or did your dad kind of get you into that as well yeah he he got me going with that as well i i shot a, a little youth model for a long time and then mm-hmm. i actually i got a bow that was able to actually hunt with and go go kill a deer probably when i was 13 yeah and then I upgraded to this bow I actually have currently probably when I was about 15. Honestly, I've been shooting this bow that I have currently for, you know, 15 to 16 years now. Yeah. What what hey, kind I of bow you. is I'm it? I'm with you. <laughs> it's a Matthews Adrenaline. Okay. So I've actually got, I had a bow that I got when I graduated high school. It was a 2013 model. And then I actually went back to a 2011 model. So I'm shooting a bow that's, 12 years old, too, and I, Dad's shooting one. I'm shooting a, a Bowtech Patriot that's got to be like an 02 model, maybe. I yeah. Mean, I'm, I, I'm, got, I'm at 20 years probably or better. Yeah. If it ain't broke, this. don't fix it, right? Well, that's kind of the way I, I look at it. You know, it's there, there's a few times that, you know, I'm I'm sure the, the draw cycle would be more comfortable. And, you know, at the range, I could shoot longer distances more comfortable. But when I'm when I'm out deer hunting, I'm pretty tight to these deer. So mm-hmm. I just, I've never had any issues with this bow and it just keeps kicking. And like you said, if it's not broke, don't fix it. That's right. Yeah. So you start hunting by yourself there in high school. And then eventually, obviously that leads into what you're doing now uh, at Tactical Approach Outdoors. Did you start that on your own? Did you start it with your brother? Uh, did you start it with some friends? How'd that come about? So th- this was me and my brother. Um, this was our idea to to get into this. We were we were wanting to do something for a long time, but didn't really know what route to take and um, and get into filming and whatnot. So when I got was able to get my first camera and actually start self filming, uh, I think I was mid twenties when I kind of got that started and started learning that. And the the filming aspect of it, and actually learning the industry mm-hmm. and whatnot, and um, and then we came up this this name is how we like to go about our hunting. So tactical approach. We have a very tactical approach to our hunting. We're very precise. We like to not necessarily just work harder than the next guy but hunt a little smarter. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Find those off the wall places, be more, more precise with our hunting rather than just randomly hunting. That's kind of always what we've done. So we figured the name name fit pretty good. And, um, and something too, I was, you know, we growing up, we, we were reading articles and we were watching the VHS tapes, uh, you know, monster bucks and, Oh yeah. <laughs> And um, shows a lot like that. So one thing that I saw, though, is I felt like there's kind of this gap in the information 
when it comes to the um, education side of deer hunting. And, um, you know, with the articles being short and whatnot, it was hard to find detail and and the why behind things. You know, you, you'd read an article and say, hunt scrapes, you will kill big bucks when you hunt scrapes. But what it doesn't tell you is that most scrapes are worthless to hunt, especially on pressure ground. Mm-hmm. So it's like there's so much more detail that actually needs to go into the understanding of what scrape to hunt, when to hunt it, and then, you know, the why behind it. And, you know, that's just something you didn't really get in most articles. And um, nowadays, you know, with um, the internet and social media the way it is, that information gap really has been shrunk big time. But that's really the reasoning behind us getting this started in in those beginning phases yes yeah, so how long have you guys been doing it now uh, what year did you guys start so um we we kind of we had the the name and started to sell film and kind of got the youtube channel started um i want to say maybe 17 yeah and um the the business idea it was 16 or 17 when we got that going, but the business idea actually came about um, d- during COVID. That's when it really figured out what path to take mm-hmm. and how I wanted to develop this brand and this business. And then, so really, the last couple of years is when we've had um, a developed brand and developed business and a path to take. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of parallels between sounds like what you guys have done and what we've done. Um, aside from you guys kind of starting on the media side during COVID is when we started Ridge Hunter Outdoors. Yeah. Um, I'd already been doing a little bit of stuff before, but then it was like, you know, why not do it and put it out there for, for, you know, more people to, to see and work for and work with and all that. So we started, I think July of 20 on like the consulting and the management side of things. And then yep. eventually, like what you're saying, you get to you get out there and talking to guys that are hunting or trying to hunt, and you realize that there is that information gap or there is just a lack of good information out there. Because even though there is considerably more now with the mediums that we do have, there's still you can get in the wrong places and find the wrong information. So that's really why we started doing the podcast, and that's led into some of what we're doing on YouTube now. Uh, but we're nowhere near where you guys are at on YouTube. I was watching some of your guys' stuff, and uh, it's really good. I was really impressed with um, the stuff you guys are putting out and the deer you're killing and all that. Appreciate that, man. We, I really enjoy, you know, building those videos and and keeping a lot of information and education in those videos while we go along the the scouting and the hunting. So I I enjoy it, and I'm glad folks get something from it and helps them out for sure. So yeah. I did it. Yep. I think you guys uh, have some, some really good content, especially compared to a lot of the other guys you see. And I, I honestly think it's right up there with some of the bigger names that, that you see. It's just, you know, you got to keep plugging away at it and eventually, and you guys have a pretty good following, I guess too, right now. Yeah. It's, it's grown substantially. Um, honestly, the last year, Yeah. um, this last year has been a huge growth um, when it comes to our platforms and of course, you know, it's translated over to business as well, but you know, when it comes to the overall following on the platforms, this last year has really taken off. Mm-hmm. 
and I've kind of fit, figured out what what my followers really enjoy watching and um, and how to reach more more people as well. So I just got to, like you said, you just got to stay consistent, keep plugging away, you know, keep putting videos out there and and let it work. Mm-hmm. So you think that's kind of uh, probably been the biggest thing as far as getting your your followers, your viewership up is just you've kind of you're starting to get even better idea of what people are wanting to see and 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 kind of building your videos towards that more often. Yeah, yeah. So I've I've kind of started getting an idea of what people are are wanting to watch. You know, just kind of not only seeing what the overall interaction is is on the platforms, but also talking to, to folks, you know, what, you know, through messenger or comments and, um, you know, at those expos and just Mm -hmm. actually talking and, and uh, networking, kind of seeing what people are really getting into, um, what the videos are talking about the most and like the most, obviously, you know, the, the hunting videos are definitely going to be your biggest hits, right? but, unless you've got a huge team of guys there's no way you can create enough content to satisfy the platform basically and and really grow so that's kind of where i've and also that's not the only reason i built this company you know this company wasn't built on just showing a hunting video Mm -hmm. it it needed i wanted some meat and potatoes i went i wanted some substance to to my vi- videos outside of just the hunt or, you know, wanted to really tell the story and then throw some educational sense into it while you see everything playing along, playing out. Right. So that that's in finding, finding kind of the content folks like to watch in the length of the videos and then um, being consistent has been huge. Yeah. And just continually putting stuff out there. Cause that's how the, how the platforms will will like your profile as well right you just have to put put content out there with also without without flooding it so it's been it has been a lot of work but i enjoy it that is for sure yeah that's one thing that uh when gosh it's i don't know it's been probably not close to 10 years ago now we had thought me and a group of friends had thought about starting to do video stuff and and even doing this the videos we're doing like you said, you get to thinking about it, and where we're at, we're hunting mostly private ground in, in Illinois, pretty much mm-hmm. exclusively. So we're allowed two bucks per person in Illinois. So even if we got four guys, okay, that's eight hunts that people are actually going to want to watch. Yeah, you know that are going to get a substantial amount of views, and then that's if every guy kills his if, limit. If every you year. score something, somebody wants to see you shoot. Yeah. Right, right. So yeah, absolutely, that, there's a. There's definitely a limit on it, but I think what you're what you guys are doing too is is beneficial. Where you're hunting public ground, because even when you're not when you're not killing deer on camera, there's always something you can learn from watching. And I think right now there's a a huge I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but people are looking for that content like on public yeah. ground. It, it seems to be becoming more and more popular. Like you look at the hunting public, how much they've grown in the last handful of years. Mm-hmm. Um, just after leaving Midwest Whitetail, and I think you guys are falling right into that too, and kind of picking up some of that following. Seems like, yeah, a- absolutely. And that there is a huge because that that was a big part of the industry. You know, I talked about that 
kind of information gap and maybe some people kind of getting left out of the industry um, as are us public land hunters. Yep. And, you know, what kind of what drove me for a long, long time um, through the years growing up and becoming a better hunter was I refused to believe that the only way to consistently harvest big mature bucks was that you needed privately owned managed manicured properties. Mm-hmm. Like, like I just, I just refused to believe that that was the only way that you could consistently harvest big mature bucks. Right. So, you know, so it kind of just put me on this path and kind of fired me up and and drove me to learn and really try to figure out how to consistently kill private land caliber bucks on public land that that's that's always been what has drove me and and has got my my learning all fired up throughout the years yeah and there's actually a lot a guy that's hunting private ground and this probably goes into that people looking for that public ground, those videos and stuff and, and content on that information is you can take a lot of the stuff you're doing on public ground and it translates to private ground hunting. Like it's, it's hunting strategy like you're talking about and being, having a tactical approach to it. Whereas a guy who can only hunt public ground is not necessarily going to get as much from a guy who's just showing you how to hunt a food plot. Yes, hundred percent, and that be, because on public ground, if you're hunting the ag fields and you're hunting the food plots, more than likely you're you're not going to see daytime movement, and if you do, it's going to be some does and maybe some young bucks. Mm-hmm. But um, you know those big mature deer, they're not going to step out into that open field during daylight unless you just figure unless you have a spot that for some reason is just kind of a unicorn of a spot that this, these deer aren't getting pressured, but mm. es- especially net nowadays with as many people hitting public kind of the way they are, there is no spot you're going to find that's not getting pressured. So in some kind of manner, you know what I mean? Yep. So yeah, if you can't, you know, if you take that approach into these pressured lands, you're not going to see any deer, much less the, the caliber of deer that you w- are wanting to harvest. Mm-hmm. So you gotta get a little creative, and um, and that, that's what I enjoy about um, consulting and taking that public land approach per se into these private lands. Is it really opens up a lot of doors that folks have on their property that they aren't taking advantage of, mm-hmm. and and if they did, they'd be they'd be harvesting that buck that they're getting on camera. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yep. So, so it's, it's fun actually getting in and talking to the, these folks. And the only difference between public and, and pr- private land when it comes to maybe your approach to, to the hunting is um, how much those deer are going to move during daylight. Mm-hmm. That's really the bit biggest difference, you know, where maybe on public, you need to be a little tighter than what you can get away with on a private land because right. you can manage the amount of pressure. Yeah. So that there's there's a lot of similarities to it, especially when you take a more um, public land approach on lower pressure ground. Yeah, and I think what you said there was good too. Like there's a lot of private ground where they might not even be hunting the whole thing because they don't they don't think they can or they're not exactly sure how. But if you take that 
kind of an approach of like even if it's something yeah. they can't do anything with management wise, you could still hunt it and and have good chances at deer. It's just you have to know how to hunt, and that's we kind of try to do that. I try to make our videos. We do a lot based towards the private ground, I and mean, of course we do a lot of the management stuff and and food plot work and all that. But I try to talk as much about why we're hunting a certain way, why we're coming in and going out the way we are, what we're doing, yeah. all that kind of stuff, because that's the stuff that does translate back to the public and, and vice versa. I, I think the, there's a there's a driving interest in public ground, and it's growing based on the, the amount of ground that's leased now, and the, the private ground that's leased now in Illinois. Um, I think yeah. that's driving more interest in guys that are wanting to come up. Maybe they don't live here and they still want to hunt this golden triangle or whatever, or maybe they do live around here. They don't own any ground and they and, and all the ground around them has been leased. So they go, they get that public interest in there maybe. Absolutely. And I, I do think that is actually a huge thing that we're running into right now is um, pr- private, private whitetail, land is really becoming a hot commodity and there's a lot of money in it so um you know land's getting bought up and it's getting leased so it's pushing a lot more people to public but i also think that we're in a a time right now too where um, people might be chasing the challenge per se and and even though they have ground to hunt that they're wanting to hunt public to kind of challenge themselves a little bit more. So I do think that we've seen a serious increase in um, public pressure over the last, last however many years here. And it's, it's been, uh, I like seeing more people get in the woods for sure. Whether sure. it's on public or private. So, yeah, I think uh, like we were talking before, some of what guys will use similar to what I'll do sometimes use public ground for is, to keep pressure off of their private ground places and it gives you something else. And, and if you're just not seeing the type of deer you want on your private, you go to public ground and you have that element of surprise that you don't know what's out there. And I yeah. think, I think some of the intrigue has to be from the availability of content based around public ground now. Cause like you were saying, yeah. where before on the outdoor channel or even the VHS tapes, you weren't seeing a lot of public ground stuff. And if it was, they weren't saying it. Yep. And now that there's so much more content out there based around it, guys are like, this is, they're realizing it's available to them. And like yep. you said, the challenge is intriguing to them. And, and I think that leads to some of that public ground pressure and popularity of it as well. Absolutely. And and also public land is really, the mindset towards public land has really changed a lot too, where, you know, you are kind of, viewed as the poor hunter per se if you had to hunt public land you know back 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 in the day but Mm -hmm. you know nowadays it's not really viewed that way it's almost actually viewed as the standard Mm -hmm. of deer hunters it seems like nowadays it's really interesting to see how that mindset towards public has evolved and and also people have realized that there's actually that quality of buck Mm-hmm. still on public land you know it's not just that two and a half year old buck if you're lucky you know there's serious there's serious opportunity at four and a half plus year old deer on public land if you know what you're do- doing and you can find the right spot mm-hmm. so that that is that really open folks mind and to that the public land hunting i think that has drove a lot of pressure as well yeah 
So obviously our season wrapped up a couple months ago, and I think Missouri's is pretty much aligned at the end with Illinois um, and Iowa. Most of them end around the middle of January. How did yeah. you guys' season go as far as uh, at tactical approach there, um, as far as the filming and all that, and how how did you guys do this year? It went really good. So um, I shot my number one target buck in Kansas, mm-hmm. which is something crazy to say. You, re- I don't think I've ever actually been able to um, have a target buck, quote unquote. Right. <laughs> and then um, uh, my brother Dakota shot a really nice eight point in Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, so that those videos turned out great. The the cool part with that that Candace Buck is, I was watching him, you know, since September. So you've had quite a few videos that that from the scouting and trail camera pulls, um, leading into the harvest of of that buck, and. Um, and then actually a couple of days before I shot him, it was opening weekend in Missouri for rifle. Yeah. So we, we were in Missouri um, to hunt opening weekend to rifle, but I knew I, I was immediately jumping to Kansas on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So I hunted, I hunted Saturday in Missouri and um, I was set up on a escape route a little ridge top that that was an escape route from both public and private kind of in a corner and and i got i darn near shot about 170 inch monster mm-hmm. i mean just just that first light he just came cruising in lo- looking like he was escaping some folks that that were walking in the woods and he was just cruising through and as i was get, getting my r- rifle ready he must have um skylighted me just enough because he he was probably three steps from being in my scope (laughs) i was like dad gone man he didn't know how close he was did he absolute toad i mean he just he just came in so fast i was really trying to hurry to get my gun ready and on him because this was i don't think we i had shooting light for 10 minutes yet so i mean it was right it was right at the beginning and, um, and then, so hunt, hunting overall in Missouri was kind of tough for, for us that Dakota had a really hot spot throughout the season. Um, my number one, one property going into this year was kind of messed up, um, had a, a right away cut right through the heart of it, yeah. which was what all their primary bedding and, and movement and, that's public land for you. It's right. just those uncontrollables, you know. Mm-hmm. You just kind of got to roll with it. So I, um, I had chances in Missouri, but I wasn't able to fill a tag. And then also most of my time, I really put a priority on Kansas th- this year because I had such good movement and I had this this stud of a ten point out there that I was hunting. Mm-hmm. So, so most of my time honestly went into Kansas this year. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear so, that. But, so, but awesome, awesome footage of that hunt. Cool. I think I saw that one actually. Yeah, and yeah, it was like I said. I think you guys do some really great work with cameras and 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 kind of putting the hunt together and showing how and showing how it went and everything. With, Appreciate that. With the the trail cameras, obviously, said it was kind of a target buck. So you guys are clearly using them. I had talked to mm-hmm. Steve Shirk from North American Whitetail on here a couple of weeks ago, and we got into 
how the trail camera legislation is changing and it just keeps moving east, uh, especially yep. on public ground. So have you guys been affected by that yet? And what are your kind of your thoughts on that? So um, tra- trail camera use in Missouri conservation has been out for a long time. Um, there's a few, few other other grounds that, you know, that they don't fit that conservation land, but that on the conservation land, we haven't been able to use them. Mm-hmm. And then in Kansas this year, they just passed legislation to ban public land trail cameras and state ground. I was thinking it was Kansas that I had seen recently. Oh. Yep. So, so honestly, like m- trail camera use for me has not been the end all be all to the harvest of the buck. Mm-hmm. The, what the trail camera use for me has always been is inventory, mm-hmm. is making sure I'm I'm not wasting my time in an area or a location that does not hold the caliber of buck that I'm after. That's always been what I've used the trail cameras for. Mm-hmm. So um, that's why this year was a little, little bit different where it, I had enough consistent movement of this buck that I could actually put a, tar- a, a pattern together form so um that 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 was kind of the difference in in how this hunt went and it was kind of fun because i actually learned a lot from this deer this year Mm -hmm. so um you know but overall when it comes to trail camera use of how we've used them throughout the years where we can use them is um is taking inventory and just making sure we're not wasting our precious hunting time in areas that don't even hold the deer we're after. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. And that seemed to be, Steve hunts, he hunts a lot of public ground out there and does some outfitting service out in Pennsylvania. And you, he was kind of saying the same thing as far as his use of the trail camera was for, like you said, making sure he's not wasting time in a place. Uh, he knows if there's a buck in there worth, worth going in after and helping with that. And I'd say the same thing that I don't understand why the what the rush is to ban the trail cameras because it has some, I mean, it, it can have an effect on whether or not you harvest a buck, but it has compared to a lot of other things, very little to do with your actual success of harvesting that buck. Yeah. And, and especially with card pull cameras, mm-hmm. um, you know, when, when it comes to set cellular trail cameras like that, there can, I see both sides of the debate, mm-hmm. you know, cause it, it doesn't kill the deer. It doesn't you still have to be a, a savvy enough deer hunter to make it happen. Right. But there are, there are certain situations and I don't think those are on public. I don't think that those situations ever align on public, but there are certain situations when a trail, when a cell trail camera can, could be used in a um, unfair advantage. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So um, I think though, you know, the kind of their argument towards it is it'll it'll drop the amount of pressure on the deer and the wildlife, and you know people don't want to um, they don't want their picture taken or you know just just kind of that that was kind of that their reasoning behind it. I honestly don't. I think the trail cameras actually help keep pressure off of the properties a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because people aren't scouting it as often, right? You, you know what I mean. So, yep. 
that they're more likely to stay off of that property for a few weeks just to let the trail camera soak or even all season. Yeah. Yeah. You get a cell cam out there and and you don't even have to be there. Exactly. Yeah. There's no pressure at all on there unless you're just trying to change something or be silly about it. There's no reason to be there if you got a cell cam. 100%. And, you know, I I don't, I kind of understand their, their reasoning, but behind, you know, people don't want their picture taken, but at the same time, like, I, I don't really, because the opportunity of actually seeing who, one, who it is, you know, identifying someone and then actually you actually rocking in front of a trail camera that you don't know is there, you know, it could be kind of slim. So, you know, I, I don't know. That, that's kind of their the reasoning behind it. I don't understand why they're, it's, if they're, they're going to put a trail camera um, ban in place, why you just make it for public and you don't make it statewide. Mm-hmm. It just kind of well, it what is I think it's driving up the price of private land on top of that. Mm-hmm. It's 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 heightening the value of those leases and heightening the value of of land sales. Well, because you can use trail cameras, right? Yeah, definitely. And that's something I hadn't even thought about uh, yet. Was like what you're saying there with the private land and land. There's more incentive there now because you can run the cameras on them. But and the the picture thing is weird to me because especially being on public ground like walk into walmart that's a public yeah. place i mean you're getting your picture taken every time you go in there it's get out like, of a car in a parking lot at one of those yeah. places and yep. see where get out of the car in a parking lot at a at a, at a state park or something mm-hmm. yep see if there's not a camera under a soffit or somewhere yep right absolutely you're taking your picture anyway yep. yeah absolutely and it, you know that's the thing too you know if and I mean, we, we had this explained to us once by a conservation agent in Missouri is, you know, he, he's like, well, you know, some decides to t- take a dump in front of your camera, you know, that they, they don't want that they're put up on social media. And I was like, well, you know, like if you don't look around exactly before you go, <laughs> do it before you go, you it, down, right? <laughs> like, I don't know, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Besides that, that's going to be way harder on me having to see that than it is them posting, you know, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's not that age hard. old question to dump in the woods. Right? I look around on private ground before I take a leak. Hundred <laughs> percent, right? Yeah. 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 So I mean, I don't like. I don't. I don't know what the how to answer that one. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't either. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a an odd thing to me, and we'll see. I think it's probably just going to get stricter, and it's just going to keep moving into the Midwest, but. Yep. That'll be conversations we'll have down the line too. But I think it is important for people to to know that's there because there's there's a lot of guys out there who are just oblivious to it that either don't hunt public ground or even that do and they don't really know that that stuff's getting closer and closer to affecting us all the time and obviously it is affecting you guys and then at, yeah. at some point it will be you know it it could lead to ban of use on private ground too because if they can get it passed on all the public ground and then what's going to keep them from wanting to ban them on on private ground especially if their yeah. argument part of their argument is well it's unfair to the game yeah, well, I mean, the, the Boone and Crockett Club, I don't even think they accept deer that, that were taken with um, um, assistance of cellular trail cameras. No kidding. I don't, and yeah, I don't even think they accept deer that, that were taken with assistance of cellular trail cameras. That's crazy. I think they've, I don't, I think they've had maybe conversations about actual trail cameras mm-hmm. in general. But um, I, 
I'd have to I have to confirm that, obviously, but that is something that I've um, seen and heard in the past. Mm-hmm. Is that they, they did actually put that into place where you can't put your deer into the books if that was something you're interested in. Right. If you cellular truck hammers. Yeah. So you know that's that's just one more place. Yep. Yep. So so we're kind of on truck hammers, and you mentioned uh, like they were talking about the pressure there. And that got me thinking, as far as like on public ground and stuff, obviously on private, we don't have to do it as much. We can do it from a stand, essentially. How much in-season scouting are you guys doing uh, when you're when you're hunting public ground? And I know some of that probably has to do with if you're jumping around, like we talked about, you guys are going to try to do this year maybe. And I don't want to spoil anything if you hadn't talked about it yet. But <laughs> when you're jumping around from place to place, uh, you only have a limited time to to scout and figure out what's there, but how much in-season scouting are you guys actually doing? Almost more than I'm hunting. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, it's, it d- does me no good to sit in an area that I don't have active sign. Mm-hmm. You, n- you know what I mean? Yep. So I've, I have been trying to, especially th- this last year, I did a lot of in-season scouting, um, in both Missouri and, and Kansas because my, my plans in Missouri kind of got folded um, with pressure and and construction and my main property, so I kind of had to try to catch up and and figure out a place to hunt. And then in Kansas, I actually wasn't able to do any postseason scouting last year. Mm-hmm. So so you know, put, putting together the pattern on this buck and in a different buck, even. I had to figure out exactly how these deer were using this area and I tried to do it as um, meticulously and as slow as possible. Right. So where, you know, postseason scouting, I would have figured all of this, all of this data out in like one to two days because I would have just dove into it and figured it out where um, I allowed myself time during season you know preseason and then dirt and early season to kind of figure this out and then let the scrapes open up because that that was the thing too is we really didn't have open scrapes yet um we found them pretty early in september but they weren't widespread yet so Mm -hmm. that was kind of one of those deals that we kind of had to let the deer slowly um expose their movement to us right to me to hunt so i you know i was able to use trail cameras this year and um i did a lot of scouting yeah i think that that will be something obviously you know with me bouncing from state to state like i'm doing i'll do that a lot just to make sure i'm staying on um consistent movement right and fresh movement but um yeah i would i do a lot of in-season scouting okay so you mentioned scrapes there a little bit is what are some things, and obviously there, again, there's a lot of nuance to it. What are some things that you're looking for when you're doing your in-season scouting that are telling you that's where, this is where the deer are moving right now. They've been here recently. They're going to continue to use this for a certain period of time. What are some things you're looking for? Um, I'm looking for um, scat and I'm looking for hoof prints in the scrape. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking for something that's obviously been used and it's obviously been used very recently. Um, I'm going to give you a, 
an example from from my Kansas hunt this year. Actually, what ended up getting this deer killed? Um, I I had a scrape figured out in a in a stand position set. It wasn't set up, but it was for my saddle. So I had the tree picked out in a trail camera since September on this one scrape. And um, over time, it kind of as the season progressed in October, that scrape started to dry up. And I went in for a hunt on that tree. I had the right wind. I went in for a hunt. And on my way in, in the morning, my I actually found two super beat, super fresh scrapes 50 yards away from where this other scrape was. And, you know, it was a little bit more in the cover, um, a little bit more towards the point of, of this particular ridge but I didn't have any camera on it. So all of my, all of my deer pic, pictures slowed down. And especially with this buck, I didn't get any picture of, pictures of him. So I went back, I checked the scrape that I was originally hunting that 50, 60 yards away. Mm-hmm. And it was dry, completely dry. So I, I immediately set up on this tree for that day. And, and during midday, I pulled that camera and set it up on this new fresh scrape that I just found. And immediately got pictures of him on that camera. Now I didn't know that until I actually went went back and hunted it when I was when I the day I ended up actually killing him. Right. Um, so that that's kind of. But if I hunted that original scrape, I probably would have never got a shot on him. Right. Because it, it would have put me way out of place. You'd have been. It, yeah. it, it wasn't that far away, but it would have put me just out of place. Mm-hmm. So you know when I'm looking for those scrapes like it needs to be obvious that 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 a deer that the deer are using it and if it's super beat down then they're using it heavy right now and there's a really good chance that there's a good buck using it Mm -hmm. as well so that that's kind of what i'm looking for it has to have you know mass trees and it has to have bedding close and it has to be in kind of in some cover or a alongside some cover so those deer feel comfortable using it during daylight right but you know that and and there's a lot you know there's a lot of things that go into a good daylight scrape but the moment you find one that's got all those pieces that's in the covers close to bedding there's good mass trees and browse around and it looks like it's getting beat then you need to hunt it and you hunt it now right you, you know what I mean? You need to pick yourself a cold front and you hunt that first cold front and then more than likely you're going to kill that deer. Yeah. So whether you know what the deer is or not, right. and I use this, I use this tactic a lot. I, I love scrape hunting and, um, I killed my Missouri nine point in 21 on that same tactic. The, the week before I found some beat scrapes that were super freshly open and I set up on them the next week on that first cold front and I shot that buck um use a similar technique in Iowa to kill that eight point um and a somewhat similar technique for my 170 that same year yeah in Missouri but he that was a lot more rut movement than scraping but the scrapes were open and they're fresh yeah so, so, you know, it, they had all the pieces, it was thick bedding cover, it was concealed movement, 
they had um, producing oaks in the scrape and all around it. And, and you could tell that the deer were just beating it down and using it. Yeah, that's actually one of the better pieces that I hunt is just 10 acres. So actually in a lot of ways it has similarities to public ground other than I can put some food on it and stuff. I have control over at least that 10 acres. But when I go in there, generally, because it's not big enough to hold deer, especially mature bucks, there's a, a group of does that will stay there most of the time. But as far as mature bucks goes, I just don't have enough room to hold them there. So when I start seeing, and this is, of course, a lot more before I started using the the cell cams, but even now still using them. When I go in there on my way to the stand and I see, and it's usually in the same areas, there's certain scrapes like what you're talking about that have been freshened up recently and that I can tell have been recently used. I know there's a good chance that I'm going to see you know, a, at least a buck on that particular yeah. sit or within, you know, within that week. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's, that, that's kind of your tell that your spot's hot, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, um, is if those scrapes that, that you're on are fresh and that's something we'll go back to, you know, in season scouting. Um, what I try to do with my in season scouting is be extremely precise I don't, I don't just wander the woods. So I scout it postseason, and I figure out everything that actually matters on property. And then what, what I go, so, so I find those scrapes that should be good day, daylight scrapes, but we'll see, right? They should be good day, daylight scrapes and I'll mark them. Mm-hmm. And then what I go, go, what I do is I go back to them during season and I figure out which ones are fresh which ones are open. Mm-hmm. And and the moment one opens up, either I already have a trail camera on it and just and waiting for them to show up or it you know if I'm able to use it or I go ahead and I'm like okay, this needs to be set. This is open. When's the next cold front? I'm going to come in and hunt it on that next cold front. Mm-hmm. Cuz there's something using it right now. So how so- often are you guys uh hunting based on the weather? Are you still hunting every day that you have available to hunt or are you only hunting on the better days or and kind of what we do is like if we have certain days to hunt we might hunt them but if the weather's not right or we don't have that cold front coming we won't necessarily hunt our best spots uh, until the weather's going to be like one of those days where you just know they're going to be moving what is your guys kind of approach to that as far as the kind of the weather and all that so I am a, a huge believer in weather. Mm-hmm. I, I hunt it religiously. And um, one thing that I, I also do too is I like using those bad weather days as days to gather intel. Yeah. So um, because I've got so many different properties that I'm keeping tabs on, it would be, it would be a terrible day maybe to hunt. Maybe, maybe I only have a morning, you know, maybe the morning's the only time that'd be really good to hunt because it's just going to be hot that day or it's going to be windy or something. I'll go, go in there and I'll hunt a spot I'm curious about. Maybe not my best spot, be if you know, that's not what I'm interested in, but I'll hunt close to it. Mm-hmm. And then I'll go in and I'll, I'll gather intel that I need to gather to see if I actually need to hunt it or not. You know what I mean? Right. So that that's what where it comes into precision hunt, hunting is if I'm if I got a bad weekend with it's going to be hot not good hunting weather 
I've been hunting this pro- property on a regular basis. Maybe I need to let it sit and I'll go check out a different property. You, you know what I mean? That mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've had tabs on and I've been paying attention to, but I haven't really been hunting hard. Right. That'd be a great time to actually go in there. And, um, if I have trail ca- camera set, you know, let's check those trail cameras and, um, and then also if there's scrapes, see if the scrapes are fresh, just kind of see what's going on. If, if there's fresh deer movement on the trails and there's a lot of deer scat, then there's active movement or it's just dry. <clears throat> that That's a lot, a lot of times too, as I find mm-hmm. those places, I like, you know, I've said that this a lot is it's just as important to find places not to hunt as it is to find places to hunt. Yeah. Yep. So, so you know, I'm kind of scratching things off the list as I go throughout the season or I'm circling them. Yeah. Because you, you don't you, want to waste those best days in a spot that doesn't have anything because you didn't take the time to go look. A hundred percent. And that's what those bad weather de- days are for. And, you know, if you, if you want to say, say you got some private land and, you know, you know exactly what's going on, it's bad wet weather. So you don't want to go use your, use your best spots. Well, maybe if you got a um, spot you can get in and get out a little bit lower intrusion and um, you still got your good wind and there might be this opportunity that a deer steps out or you just sit there and you observe mm-hmm. what the deer are doing. You sit, you know, if you have a box blind, maybe on a, on a food plot, you can mm-hmm. observe deer from distance and just kind of see what they're doing, which would give you intel on your better spot that's back there in the woods. Yep. So th- th- there's things that you can do to get around those those bad weather days. I definitely say if you've got them, be out there, but you don't don't hunt your best spots. Yeah, one of the things that I'll mention a lot is you can. It's hard. You can't kill that buck tomorrow today, but you can definitely yep. keep yourself from killing him tomorrow. And that's where that that saying, you know, you can't kill a deer on the couch. Well, you're true, right? You can't. Right. But on on the flip side of things, you can keep yourself from killing that buck if you choose a day to go in the woods when you should have just sat on the couch. Right. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey Austin, I'm gonna jump in here for a second and kind of kind of change the subject for a second. Yeah. So obviously public ground could be anywhere from say a state park to a national forest. So I guess a kind of a two part question, what's the smallest trek you've hunted versus the largest trek? And if you had your druthers, where, where, what kind of trek would you like to, you know, would be like the perfect for you size? wise? man. Good question. Um, probably the smallest track I've hunted has been, a few hundred acres um and i was 50 50 on that that spot but it ended up being that was the day that was that same property that i shot my 170 on and i got video of a 190 so it's like that was freaking awesome (laughs) yeah absolutely Um, but i regularly hunt you know properties that that are that seven to ten thousand um, 13,000 acres and, um, actually one of the, the property I hunted last year in Kansas, <clears throat> um, man, I think that one, 
may have been close to 15,000. So, and I'm, I'm hunting an even bigger property this year in Kansas. It's so, I mean, it, I, I guess if I were to choose, I would rather choose the medium to large size just because, um, I'm able to find more areas that these deer are getting away from the pressure, not necessarily at a, not necessarily the furthest walk, but the overlooked spots, you know what I mean? Okay. Okay. You're sure. But it, it gives me more options, I guess. If I were to, to make a three to six hour drive, that seven to 20,000 acre property gives me more opportunity to possibly find that buck versus that 100 to 300 acre property that is a 50-50 shot, whether it's absolutely gold mine or it's overrun by hunting pressure. So um, I won't count out a good small property. I'll give it a shot. But I, I like to piece a few of those together. If I can find a few of them in a general area that, that I can feel good about my trip. Sure, and then, sure. um, but if I can piece together as many acres as possible, like when I went to Iowa, I think I had around 80,000 acres within a 30 minute drive of where I was staying. So, so I, th that's not just one property that, that was multiple properties. Right, so if I yeah, kind of yeah. into a, a hub that had an unlimited amount of possibilities and i was like you can't tell me that i can't find a deer to hunt on eighty thousand acres so <laughs> in <laughs> iowa right yeah. in yeah. iowa no kidding. yeah so <laughs> sure so so especially with my out-of-state hunts i always try to lean on that small to large scale just because i feel like it gives me a lot of opportunity but to find those overlooked spots but i mean no matter where I go, I'm running into pressure. I, there's there's people everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, it, it just seems like maybe, and I understand what you're saying. Around here, people have that idea that if you find that 200-acre patch, that it's just being hit from all sides, and, and there is some yep. truth to that. Yeah, yeah and that, that's the same here, and it's that there is a lot of truth to that. We found those 200, 300-acre spots that are just getting hammered, and and is only being used as move as move through property, you know, at night. Right. And especially with those bucks. But um, on the flip side side of things, there are the, those little hidden gems that, um, for whatever reason, people aren't getting to a either either they're not hunting it very often, or they're just not getting to sp certain parts of it for whatever reason it might be, and it's an absolute just gold mine for deer so it's been it's it's kind of a 50 50 shot if, as what i found on the smaller properties yeah we're actually a friend of ours that's on the podcast some he uh he hunts just south of a public property and the movement of hunters on the public property actually affects him and he's hunting okay. private ground you know right yeah. of, course, of course it borders it and so you know some of the smarter guys that are hunting the public ground are playing the wind, but it's killing him in certain times of the year. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it affects private ground as well, the pressure. Yeah, ab absolutely. And, you know, that that's something that 
you know, yeah, it's, it's cool to be able to butt up against public, you know, maybe you can pull some deer off of it that are being pushed around and, and whatnot. But also, like you said, you know, if, if the wind is right for them on, on public, it may be blowing out your property yeah, for he that found, day. Yeah, he found that out and, and uh, you're on the downwind his, side of his it. tail trail cameras just went blank and, and it took us a minute <laughs> or two to figure it out, but we did. Yeah. And, and that's what was going on. So it happens. Yeah, they yeah, weren't doing yeah, anything wrong. We weren't mad at them or anything. It's just, that's yeah. just hunting. That's just hunting. Yeah. And it's just something that, you know, you can, knowing that that's going to ha- going to happen, you know, maybe you just work your hunting efforts around that. Yeah. Last year was actually <laughs> the first year he hunted that piece of property and, and we learned that. Okay. And so now obviously we're changing this year. Yeah, I'm sorry. It was two years ago. So obviously we're changing this year, you know, based on what we believe that those guys are going to do and the way the wind plays and all that. So yeah, we're going to yeah. try to make that to our advantage again. Yeah. I was going to say, you could probably even make that really make that to your advantage on those, the wind that doesn't blow into your property. Right. Yep. Yeah. So that's cool on those, like what you're talking about, finding those spots that are just maybe overlooked. What's maybe the most, obscure place that you've either had an encounter with a nice buck or just found sign of one or had pictures of one that for some reason people just overlooked it. You don't have to get like too specific to where people yeah. know where you're at, but like uh, what are some places like that just seem like they shouldn't have been overlooked that they were, or um, is there one that comes to mind? So I actually, there's one that comes to mind um, from my scouting this this spring so far in Kansas, I, I went to a different property, not the property I was hunting, but a different property. Um, and I found I was, it was dry with deer sign. I was really having trouble finding deer sign when I did, it was very sporadic, but you know, I heard good things about this property and whatnot. So I'm like, Oh, let's go check it out. And then what I ran into is I ran into this tiniest little bench and it was it was enclosed with cedars. Mm-hmm. It couldn't have been ten yards by twenty yards tops, tops, tiniest little bench. And it had a well, but and from an old, um, um, like from an old house place or something. Yeah, from, yeah, yeah, exactly from an old homestead. Um, an, an old well there, and it was surrounded by producing oaks. I'm like, man, there has to be a buck bed here. This is too good not to have a buck bed. Right. And I found that these these cedars on this little bench were shredded. Yeah. And they were big cedars. And, and that they were big cedars. And then I found there was a scrape maybe 20 or 30 yards away. And that was the only serious deer sign I found in that general area. And I'm like, man, I was like, you can tell these deer are getting pressured. I said, that's why there's not as much deer sign, but I wonder why he feels so comfortable right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, this isn't super difficult to get to. It's just that he feels comfortable there for whatever reason. So, um, yeah, it was just, just out of nowhere, this t- tiny little, little patch of cedar trees surrounded by oaks mm-hmm. on a little tiny bench that he could kind of tuck himself up against the hill on just enough. Yep. So it was, I mean, clearly he knows how to survive and escape in that spot, and that's why he's using it. Yeah, he just feels safe there for 
for whatever reason. Yeah, and you know it, it's it's interesting. Some of the places that that I found some of my best spots is um, these are areas that there's hunting pressure all around it. Right. But for whatever reason, they aren't actually hunting that ridge that often or that draw, whatever that little spot might be. Mm-hmm. And and these deer have figured out exactly where they need to be, and and they know exactly what their escape route is. Yep. So they can sense anything coming from a distance and, and escape. And you don't even know that they're there. Right. right. So, so, and there's not widespread sign. It's the tiniest pocket of sign. And I, I think people look past those pockets just because they're not this slappy in the face kind of right. Like there lo- may be, location. There may be fresh sign, but it's not a lot of sign. So guys are overlooking it, you think? Yeah, yeah, and so, and and the deer know how to survive in it, mm-hmm. so that they're just they're just beating whatever hunting pressure is around it. Right. So yeah. let, let's back up a little bit here um, on the tactical approach, like you talked about the business side of it. Um, can you explain a little bit of what you guys do as far as uh, on the business side? Absolutely. So. Um, I do um, private land management um, consulting. Mm-hmm. I also run in-person workshops, which will be fired up this summer, which I'm very excited about. That's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. And um, have an online deer hunting course, Deer Hunting Academy. Um, but everything I've done for a while has been kind of t- tailored to the adult onset um, deer hunter. You know, someone getting into it you know at a later date where you know i up with it but um you know everything i do i keep very advanced tactics still in my teaching Mm -hmm. so in in my what what in everything i do with the course with the workshops and all um you know because i want no matter who shows up or who takes that that course that they get something from it right you know so I've got it to it where it's it's understandable enough for the very beginning deer hunt deer hunter, but the more advanced intermediate deer hunter can also take something from it, and and increase that their success on on larger deer. Right. So the, those are the three main facets of the business. Um, you know, obviously the the vir- virtual side when it comes to the deer hunting academy but my workshops are going to be very mobile hunting forward yeah so so you know we're going to do a lot of you know kind of a quote-unquote classroom style of of learning and question and answer at the beginning you know get to know each other kind of know who's who's in the in the audience Mm-hmm. And then we'll get in the get in the field. We'll go over some areas that I look for, what I look for, kind of get a visual of it. And um, you know, I'll have saddles set up. I'll have a tree stand set up. You know, we can teach anybody who's interested in it on how to use that equipment. Mm-hmm. And um, and as well, well, you know, at the as a beginning hunter, you know, learning how to efficiently and safely set up a tree stand or a saddle and and whatnot that could be that's very um 
essential. And that, that's what I've helped to get guys out with in the past. You know, I, I had obviously had someone to sh- show me that and, you know, there's videos to it, but it only goes so far compared to that hands-on in-person learning experience. Yeah. And they can ask direct questions and stuff. That That's exactly. a big thing too. Yep. In real yeah, time. Exactly. In so, real time. Exactly. Yep. So with you guys doing a lot of that, um, I kind of asked that to lead into another question I had yeah. because we see themes when we go to client properties and talk to guys there. A lot of times we'll see them having the same issue. So what's, and, and it is attributed to the same things a good portion of the time as well. So what's yep. probably the most common mistake you see guys making when it comes to just like hunting strategy or how they're hunting? Um, they get married to tree stands. Okay. That's that. That's probably the probably the one big one I see a lot mm-hmm. is you know you've had this this box blind set you know and a lot of those box blinds that they're, they're permanent they're they're sunk in the ground right or they've got tree stand set that's been there for ten twenty years mm-hmm. and they they just always set it you know every uh you know every few years that they'll shoot shoot a big deer out of it and then you know they'll just kind of struggle on those in between years and what i found is i mean those deer know where that spot is they know where that stands at Mm -hmm. so they they adjust their movement around that stand and also that they've learned how to wind that stand so you'll be getting um pictures of these deer at that stand but the moment you hunt it you don't see those deer right it's because they know how to win that stand mm-hmm. and, and that they'll just hold off, you know, back in the bedding until you vacate after dark and then they'll come in and you'll get a picture of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so, so, you know, that that's kind of something I've seen a lot, a lot is just kind of getting married to a spot and not hunting it mobile. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that goes right back to taking a little bit more of a public land approach to a private land. Mm-hmm is um you know that they're not hunting at mobile that they're hunting set stand locations so and being unable to adjust that 50 to 100 yards if they need to adjust Mm -hmm. and you know that 50 to 100 yards as you know especially as a bow hunter is is a make or break at whether you harvest that buck or not yeah for sure and there i i think there are places guys can get away with that there are stand sets that are going to be consistently good yep. year after year for whatever reason, but then we'll yep. see that. We do see that a lot, too, where guys will get just in a year to year, uh, and, and when we do set up a property for a guy or, or give him a plan, you know, even if we recommend stand locations, we'll always give the caveat that what you're doing is definitely going to change things. So even if this would have been a good spot in the past, you still have to be willing and able to move that stand if you need to. So if you're sitting yeah. here and you're seeing all the deer 100 yards away consistently, move the stand 50, 60, 70 yards, whatever it needs to be, to get to where those deer are moving. 100% agree. And, and you know, something, too, I see a lot is we have this idea that we can manipulate deer movement by using management practices. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the, the, the simple fact is that that big buck's not going to do anything that he doesn't feel comfortable doing. 
So, so, and that he doesn't feel safe do, doing so right. that, you know, that most, the best thing we can ask of that buck is that he spends the majority of his life on our property. Mm-hmm. That's the best thing we can ask of that deer. And then we need to be a hunter and adjust to him, mm-hmm. you, you know, so, you know, shortening up, um, food plots or may, maybe trying to block a trail or, mm-hmm force movement into a specific area that they don't already want to use Mm -hmm. so and that that's where i i think that you know folks kind of get get lost is that we can't just manipulate these deer and to do whatever the heck we want to do no matter how sweet the pot is right that if they don't feel safe doing it they're not going to do it yep we talk we talk about that a lot too is you can only make a move so far so you can you can exactly. influence movement to a point, but just because you sure. plant an acre food plot on one side of your 80-acre property, that doesn't mean the deer are going to all of a sudden go over there like a magnet if that's not where they want to be going anyway. Exactly. And, and I've seen deer too. You know, another misconception is that deer are naturally just going to use a feeder if it's there. Mm-hmm. And, and I've seen that some of these mature bucks won't use that feeder just because of its placement. Mm-hmm. So that they, they, they don't feel comfortable going out there and using it. And you'll get a bunch of doe pictures and young bucks, but those bigger bucks are staying back in, in the timber mm-hmm. and they're, they're, they're feeding off the edge of that food plot, but they're not walking out there all the way in the middle to right. feed off of that, um, that feeder, which is so, so that's kind of another th- thing too, you know, keep an open mind. Yep. Because he might not be doing something that you think he should be doing. So, yeah, feeders are an interesting one to me because we can't use them here in Illinois, but some of the properties we worked on, guys will have yep. them. And the location of most of them has always just been is <laughs> mind boggling. It's really time. puzzling to me. Like, like yeah. and it's like you're saying, just because you put it here doesn't mean they're going to use it. Uh, and yep. they'll have a feeder full of corn. 30 yep. yards away from a 100-acre cornfield. You, yep. you know what I mean? I, he's not... And 10 steps away from their deer blind. Exactly. Yeah, you know, right yep. on top of it where they're coming in and out all the time and leaving all their scent and all that. It just That's where the education comes in. That's, yeah. That's where yeah. the education needs to come in. For some reason, there's this fallacy that, ma- that feeders are magic and deer will automatically come to them, but you're right. It definitely... That's, yeah, it's just a puzzling one to me a lot of times. Yeah, and that's like I mean we can't we can't force these deer into doing something that they don't want to do, you mm-hmm. know. And you know if it if it works out best for us, that's not necessarily what's going to work out best for that deer. And that's where I we have to learn how to work with that animal a little bit more than than trying to manipulate him and force him into in an area. I mean, if you put if you use those same tools and you align them with what he feels comfortable doing, dude, you're going to, mm-hmm. it's an absolute gold mine. Yep. I mean, you're gonna, you, that same tool that was not working for you back then is now going to work for you Yeah. and multiply you, your success because you used it in line with what he feels comfortable doing. Yeah, put that feeder where he wants it, not where you want it, and then hunt it where he wants it. That's yeah. and figure out figure out how to hunt where he wants it. Yeah, 
Exactly. And and let, let him be safe there. Let him feel safe and then you be precise as a deer hunter. And and that that's the, that's that kind of hunt that that's a one and done hunt. If you done if you do it right, that that's kind of that one cold front. You go in there on the right wind and that cold front that he's and he's using it on a regular basis, you know, that could be one hunt in that stand and and you've shot your target buck. Yeah. So yeah, and that's another thing even on just habitat management and improvements is a lot of guys will go put all that work in, but again, it's either not where that deer wants to be or they won't make it any easier on themselves to hunt. And I think you got to keep that in mind too, where you're doing this stuff to increase your chances of harvesting that buck. So do it with the idea that you're making it easier on yourself to hunt, whether that be access or putting it in the right spot for wind directions or a good around yep. a good stand location, that kind of stuff. And all that is based on somewhat, at least a good part of it, where that deer is comfortable being anyway. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and he'll t- if you listen, you know, they'll they'll tell you where, where they like to be. You know, it might be very subtle clues, but that they, they'll tell you where, where they like to be, and that's just kind of. And then you can sweeten that pot a l- little bit with your management, with your management, and um, and just really make a dynamite property. Yep. And, you know, two, two is, you know, you said this earlier with your 10 acre properties that, like, you know, there's no way you can keep a deer on that prop, that buck on that property. That's another thing I think, um, guys get lost on is, um, I mean, unless you've got thousands and thousands of acres, mm-hmm. there's no way you're going to keep that one buck on your property solely for his entire life, no matter how good of a property that you create, mm-hmm. he, you know, he's going to travel miles. Right. There's, and you know yeah, go that, ahead. that goes back that goes back to that, you know, coaling. You know, that only works in a high fence. It doesn't work with mm-hmm. wild deer. Right. So, you know, those deer will travel and you just have to create a, a place where he feels safe enough to spend most of his life. Hey, back in the day I traveled miles myself. For, you know, looking for <laughs> right? the <laughs> Right? <laughs> Didn't we all? <laughs> yeah <laughs> looking for the right thing yeah yeah that that reminds me uh, uh you know kind of leads into another thing i was going to mention as i saw a reel from you today and it like it was perfectly aligned with what i preach all the time is and it's what we're talking about right now is you most of the time guys don't have that kind of ground so you're not going to hold that buck on your property 24 yep. 7 365 so set it up to where he's spending most of his daylight hours on your property when you can actually hunt him. I think that's exactly. a big thing that gets overlooked and guys get caught up in, in providing them with summer habitat and food so they'll be there then. And and it's just a, a waste of space most of the time. And even if yep. uh, me and Nate, uh, the other guy who's on the podcast, we're talking about this a couple weeks ago or a few weeks ago, even if I had thousands of acres where I could take half of it and make it summer habitat and the other half and make it fall habitat, I'm still going to yep. make it all fall habitat because that's the only time I can hunt it anyway. 100%. I mean, it, you know, I might, if I had enough land to to have some summer, yeah, I think I'll put some out there. Mm-hmm. You know, get give them that summer nutrition, maybe help entice some antler growth. Right. And, you know, keep a healthy herd. But, yeah, I, I want my property to be where they want to be during the fall, you mm-hmm. know, when it matters. I think that is a great point you made just made, though. Uh, 
if you're doing summer habitat, don't necessarily do it to keep the deer there. Do it for the health of the herd. Yeah. And that, that's really what this, what summer habitat is for. Mm-hmm. So, summer habitat's not just to keep deer, you know, that that's not necessarily what we're looking for. Cause that deer could shift miles to a mm-hmm. fall range, especially, but, especially bucks. Yeah. hundred percent. And, but, you know, maybe we can help increase the overall health of the herd mm-hmm. and in turn help create, um, larger ant- antlers and a little bit better overall deer for years to come. Yeah, you know, we've, that, that's we've discussed that quite a bit on, uh, on this podcast about, you know, the health of the herd. A doe is half of the antler growth of a buck. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And that, and that's, that too is what somewhat um, debunks the, the culling idea for wild deer mm-hmm. is, you know, that, that doe is half of, the work when it comes to overall antler size, you could have a funky buck breed a doe and that the, what the product of that buck could be an absolute stud, mm-hmm. but, yeah. um, yeah. you know, because the doe was just right. Yep. And then actually she probably has more than more than half to do with it because if she has good antler genetics, so she's given that to that buck and also she's responsible for the nutrition of that buck for the first year yep. of its life. And, and even in the gestation period, which has a lot to do with their potential for antler growth. Yep. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah, but what you were saying and, and that reel I saw today, I thought just was really good about, you know, making the most, because a lot of guys are in situations, private landowners, where they have 80, 100, 200 acres or a 20 or a 40 or even less. Why yeah. not make it the most efficient it can be and the most effective it can be? Because the still the biggest thing we can do to improve antler size is advance the deer to the next age class. And the best way we can do that is have them on our property during hunting season when we can decide whether they get to walk or not. 100% correct. Yep. Absolutely. So the, the more, the more time they're spending on us, the less time they're on the neighbor who might shoot them when they're three and a half years old. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. So, you guys, uh, you you said you do quite a bit of in season scouting. What are you guys doing right now? Um, Off season scouting. How much are you guys using maps? How much are you getting boots on the ground? Are you are you doing any shed hunting right now? I don't. I know there's probably different rules and regulations on that depending on where you're at uh, and public ground and stuff. But what are you guys doing right now? Um, a lot of of map scouting and a lot of boots on the ground post season scouting. Um, I post season scouting for me is probably half of what I contribute to my success and consistent success. And, and really what I'm doing is I'm, I'm gathering as many possible opportunities as possible, you know, as many different properties, locations on property, and then really diving into an area that during season, I can't be that intrusive, right? But during this time of year, I can be. So, so I'm getting in there and I am figuring out every little detail that I can about about that spot because that information I can use going into not only hunting but in season scouting. And you know, the moment that he shows up during my in season scouting in the fall, I already know 
what that property looks like. Mm -hmm. So I can be super precise on my hunting and my scouting to figure out where he's using the most and then put those puzzle pieces that together on them and, and kind of get in faster. You know what I mean? Get Mm -hmm. on him immediately and um rather than kind of wandering the woods during the fall right so i really contribute most of my success to my um postseason scouting and um last last year i wasn't able to do as much as i'd like to Mm -hmm. and the properties in in missouri that i wanted to hunt the most and those are the ones i did most of my postseason scouting for ended up kind of being bus for me so you know i didn't have a lot of properties on hand that i typically do right so and then go, going into this next year um um with this whitetail slam um goal that i have mm-hmm. you know i'm hunting a lot of different states that this year this is a huge this is a huge adventure yeah so you know i'll be as prepared as possible go, going into the fall um not only with as many properties as possible, but as many of the states I plan on hunting and really just streamline my fall and um, help me feel confident going into a hunt. Yeah, because you're going to want to spend as much time as you can on set waiting for that buck as opposed to looking yep. for him. If, 100%. And that's, I think, going to be key to your success when you're doing that is being able to spend that time with a good chance of harvesting the buck because, like you said, all those different states and all the traveling you're going to be doing, you're going to be limited in the time you're going to have on stand. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's five different states in four different regions. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be, that's a really big goal. It's a very attainable goal, but it's very big goal, especially wanting to harvest, you know, a little bit more mature buck. Right. Right. So, um, you know, so the, the trick to the possible success of that will be my preparation. Yeah. So that that's why I'm trying, you know, I'm working as hard as I can until that green up starts yep. to be as prepared as possible for my fall properties. And then once June comes, I can get out to Kentucky and really start trying to find me some velvet bucks mm-hmm. to put a pattern together for, um, for September. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, man, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. So uh, I think we've covered a lot. We'll uh, we'll get you out of here for sure. Would love to have you back on sometime too. So um, we'll we'll stay in touch about that. But before I do get you out of here, if you want to, where can people follow you at, like on your socials, and and what would be the best place? Where that be YouTube, Instagram, all of it. Um, just kind of tell tell everybody where they can find you. Absolutely. So. Um... Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, um, Tactical Approach Outdoors. If you just look look up that, you'll find me everywhere. Mm-hmm. And Facebook, I've got a page as well. Um, but I really push my Instagram and YouTube probably the most. And then um, um, tacticalapproachoutdoors.com is where you're going to find um, more information about who I am, who we are, and the business. So that's where you'll find my services, my consulting services, um, workshops, and Deer Hunter Academy. Everything will be on tacticalapproachoutdoors.com. And um, 
And yeah, if you want to to look more about who I am and and what kind of hunting I like to do, go on my YouTube channel at Tactical Approach Outdoors. You'll get a really good idea about what I like to do and and what I'm all about. Yeah. So, um, and on your like the business side, are you guys still booking for this year, or are you looking out towards next year already? Or if people are interested. Absolutely. I'm still booking for this year. Um, you know, mo- most of my, my um, consulting work kind of gets done in the winter and the spring, you know, but if anybody wants some, some work done during the summer, I'm, I'm all ears for a conversation and, and then I'll really start pushing, um, getting clients scheduled for next winter and going into spring soon, but we definitely still have time to get some postseason scouting done, get some planning done before planting season really gets kicked off. And, um, you know, if you're a smaller property and you're not interested in planting summer food, obviously it's, mm-hmm. we can wait a little bit longer before that planting really has to, to take place for fall. Yeah. So absolutely. And you're on your courses and stuff like that. You plan to do that. Some of that you said later this year, still yet. Yeah, so um, Father's Day weekend is my first workshop um, scheduled so far, and I plan on do, doing more along, along those lines, and I, I would like to, I don't know if this year I'll be traveling from state to state, but next year I'd like to get multiple states kind of scheduled mm-hmm. and kind of move, move around the country a little, little bit and um, and really offer a lot of different did a lot of workshops for different areas and reach a lot of people. Yeah. So, and when you guys start doing that or when you get, you know, when you get solid on when and where and all that, uh, and if you're going to do it anywhere else for sure, let us know. And I'll at least put the word out for you. And, you know, we do a lot of the similar stuff and it seems like we're, you know, we think a lot along the same lines, I think. Um, so if you guys ever wanted any help with that or get some other guys in there involved with it, for sure, we would love to help you out too. That sounds awesome, man. Yeah, well, let's let's keep in touch about about that. I'll definitely game to um, have conversations, and I, I love offering offering more to my um, you know customers and clients as much as I can, and mm-hmm. and giving them a lot of value for what they're paying for. Yeah, and hey, when you're in Illinois, let us know, and we'll get you in here in the studio, and we'll do another podcast. Oh, that sounds perfect. Yeah, I'm hoping to get out there, you know, in the next month or so. I'll try to get out there before the green up really gets bad. Right. So um I'll just I'll keep you keep you updated a lot along those lines. But yeah, I'm looking forward to to meeting up and, and getting out there to Illinois. Yeah. Hey, we we walked a little bit today and uh it's it's greening up. It's starting to happen, dude. Yeah, I know. I, I was in <laughs> I, I was in Alabama, um couple weeks ago for a client and man they were green down there yeah so it's starting to work its way up north here it's just it's not as green as it was down there but it's starting to make its way up here pretty quick right right (laughs) hey austin is it's good to talk to you again and i'll see you on the circuit hopefully if you come in the studio i'll say hey and appreciate you coming on man absolutely thanks for having me on i appreciate it yeah it was a pleasure man again we'll we'll do it again sometime so thanks everybody if you want to check austin out and what they're doing it's tactical approach outdoors or tactical approach outdoors uh on the website too so thanks for coming on man we'll be in touch sounds good buddy i appreciate you having me on